0: What's up producers, welcome back to the EDM Podcast, my name is Sam Matler, I'm your host and this is a show where I interview producers, engineers, managers, uh, industry people and in this case musicians. So today I'm joined by Mike Casey, he is a saxophonist uh, from the US and very talented jazz musician but you're probably wondering why on earth do I have a jazz musician on the EDM Podcast, good question. Uh, I just thought I'd have him on because seemed like a cool guy. He's also just released a sample pack on Splice, a uh, saxophone sample pack, and as you probably know, there's hardly any good ones. So you can check that out using the link below. Sounds really good. I love it. Been using it. But this interview with Mike is great. It doesn't matter that he's a jazz musician and you're not, or you're just an electronic music producer. He has a ton of great advice for being an artist in general. Very good insight, uh, very interesting background. So I highly recommend listening to this. We talk about a few things. We talk about his time at, at school and college, uh, jazz school. Very interesting. Not like Whiplash, by the way, uh, but some similar similarities. So that's cool. We talk about his album, The Sound of Surprise, how he crowdfunded it, how he recorded it. Uh, we talk about his interest in philanthropy. Uh, some of the challenges in the jazz industry uh, and we also talk about the sample pack of course that is out on splice now go check that out now if you enjoy this episode uh, please head over to edmpro.com forward slash itunes and leave a rating and review that would help us out a lot Uh, again edmpro.com forward slash itunes and just leave a rating and review now without further ado here is mike casey enjoy the interview this episode of the edm podcast is brought to you by edm foundations edm foundations is a comprehensive online course that helps new producers master the fundamentals of electronic music production by making four songs in four weeks it is made by yours truly and we've had over 950 students take the course many of them have had great results get 10 percent off edm foundations by using the code podcast that is p-r-o-d-c-a-s-t at checkout again just head to edmfoundations.com and use code Broadcast at checkout welcome back to the edm podcast today i'm joined by mike casey mike how's it going Sam, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. It's great to have you on. Uh, Now, normally we just have electronic music producers on, managers, engineers, uh, but you are a saxophonist and I believe you're the first one we've had on. Uh, So I'm excited for this interview and excited to hear what you're going to talk about, but let's take it all the way back. How did you get into music uh, as a whole? Where did that start?
1: started at a very young age. Uh, there was music constantly playing in the house. Um, I would always sing along to songs in the car and my mom noticed, uh, that I could pick up things very quickly, whether it was rhythm or just catching like the whole melody to a song. I could just, you know, hear it one- a couple times and then sing along, you know, pretty accurately, even as a young boy. And, um, initially wanted to play drums but my parents said it would be too loud so i settled on the saxophone uh little did they know that once you learn how to play that the right way it is pretty loud (laughs) most (laughs) of the time uh because you actually work on that uh volume is in sound and you know getting a big sound is something you spend a lot of time on um and uh that was 15 years ago so i've been playing for 15 years and uh it's been an amazing time i mean it's it's saxophone and music is is love of my life so i i just absolutely love music i'm so i'm so lucky to be still doing music as a career and um yeah i mean it's it's just been great and i i plan on doing it as long as i as i'm able to
0: so what age were you when you when you picked up saxophone
1: so i was nine and i'm 24 now
0: nine okay so from the age of nine you pick it up are you, are you getting lessons at this point
1: I am, yeah. I, I actually started a year late um, in, in America, at least, um, for the most part. They have kids start on wind instruments in fourth grade. I started um, in fifth grade, so I was a year behind. Um, I did take lessons right away. You know, right after taking lessons, I was thrown into the, into the band program, um, which was at the time very frustrating for me because I had the whole summer leading up to that. They were just teaching me the saxophone, but the saxophone is a lot harder than people think. And we didn't actually have time to learn how to read music. So I went, <laughs> I went into the band program like freaking out. Cause I was like, I can't read the music, but I, my ear was good. So I, I basically kind of didn't really read music all that well for a while. I kind of faked my way through it by just hearing the songs and memorizing them uh, for like another like four or five years and sort of half reading it, but not really. And then, as I grew in the music that was presented to me, got did more difficult. Then I was like, Oh, I really can't keep doing this. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. then I learned how to, you know, read, read music at a higher level, like in high school. Um, but I was kind of an ear player for a while.
0: Right. I want to get back to this, but why you mentioned that playing a saxophone is harder than people think or learning is harder than people think. I've heard that from multiple people, but I've never really asked why. So why is that?
1: That's a great question. So a couple reasons but i think just from the instrument standpoint um the saxophone is basically it's the most modern of the wind instruments like the classic mm. wind instruments so uh what i mean by that is it's the newest it was invented the latest that's why you don't see the saxophone in the symphony orchestra because it was invented after most of the major orchestral works have been written so um that's part of that and then uh, because it was, you know, designed a lot later, for just from a sonic standpoint, from an instrument design standpoint, it has a lot of advantages over the way a flute is designed, over the way a clarinet is designed. I bring those two up because they have kind of the same fingerboard: one, two, three on top, one, two, three, and then you know your thumbs and your pinkies are doing extraneous things on the side. They're similar in that way. That's why a lot of saxophone players will double on flute and clarinet. Um, mm. However, the saxophone has a but a bunch of advantages. So in that way, um, it's easier to get going and it's easier to play it. I'll say wrong, but there's not really, I don't really believe in that, but, but in a sense <laughs> to sum it all up, what I mean is if, you, if you're a young kid and you're playing the flute wrong or maybe not the best way you will know because the flute won't work. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, it just won't work. And you'll be like, Oh, that'll, that'll make me develop the right habit. With saxophone, you can play the saxophone a zillion ways because it's so well designed that mm. you could be playing it the most horrible, you know, inefficient way, and it'll still make a sound. And if you do it enough, you'll actually start to sound good. Um, so what most saxophone players go through is a couple years of playing the instrument with horrible technique. And then when they start, if they start to get serious, then they have to unlearn everything and and relearn in not the way, there's not one way, it's a flexible instrument, but there's a few different ways that are a lot more efficient than what most people start with because of that difference. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that, and then as you progress and get more advanced, then you realize, oh, on top of that, uh, this instrument is actually just extremely hard to control. Um, and that's partially because the the sonic range of the instrument is so wide uh you've essentially got the power of a trumpet with the warmth of a clarinet and you can be anywhere on that spectrum so much so that when adolph sax invented the saxophone all the clarinet players were freaking out they're like this thing is going to take over um Hmm. and it kind of did which is why you don't see clarinet players in a rock band or a funk band (laughs) or any pretty much anywhere outside of classical music um because the saxophone kind of took over in that way where it's it's like if you're going to have one horn in a band, odds are probably it's a saxophone, maybe a trumpet, but you know, usually if there's a trumpet, it means there's also a saxophone and it's a whole, it's a full horn section. So the saxophone, it's just got so many possibilities that you kind of are, you know, you're, I would say if you're a student of the saxophone, you're obligated to explore at least a little bit um, sonically. So it's just, there's a lot that goes into it.
0: Wow. And I suppose that like, it sounds like it's really important to take lessons. Then, in that case, if you're learning sax, so that you don't develop those uh, not bad but inefficient habits early on.
1: I would say so. Yeah, it's very important. And I, I was, I was um, really, you know, fortunate to have good teachers from the beginning, um, and uh, they they helped me. But the thing, with, uh, kind of along those lines, is that every saxophone teacher, because it's such a flexible instrument, everyone has their own thing. So, mm. you know, as I grew and as I as you get to study with better and better teachers who are usually better and better players, then you learn okay, some of what the earlier teacher said, maybe some of it I'll keep, some of it I'll drop, <laughs> you know. Um, and then you kind mm-hmm. of grow that way. So, it, it, what my experience was is that some of the best knowledge about just playing the instrument from a technique and sound standpoint, I was learning as recent as a couple of years ago when um I I really feel like wow if I had known that when I was nine oh my goodness I would have saved so much time. There's a lot of kind of I guess you could say secret things that really should be more considered more basic but are considered advanced that are actually fundamental to playing the saxophone (laughs) that they don't really that are hard to find out they're not very well documented Um, and I think every instrument has things like that. Um, But yeah, I'm, I'm one day I would like to kind of rewrite not just me, me and other saxophonists that I respect kind of helped to rewrite like the beginning method for saxophone, because I think there's a lot of, a lot of things that could be updated and improved. Um, but anyways, that's besides the point.
0: <laughs> oh, that's, that's cool. So going back to high school, what was the music program like there?
1: So I actually uh, went to two high schools. I, uh, I, my second year I started going uh, to two high schools. I went to my normal high school in the morning and then I would take a bus halfway through the day into Hartford, Connecticut, the nearest city, uh, for uh, jazz classes and music classes at uh, a magnet school, Arts Magnet High School called the Greater Hartford Academy for the Arts. And that place completely changed my life. Um, It was a very intensive um, arts high school, which for jazz, uh, you know, in that area, it was kind of like one of the only places you could really learn jazz from actual jazz musicians, not just band directors who think they know about jazz. There's a big difference because uh, jazz is an oral tradition. It's a very oral, orally passed down music. You can't really learn it from someone that hasn't really spent the time to really learn it and can create the art themselves. Um, so, I was very fortunate there. Um, that program has spawned tons of world-class performers uh, and many of the people that I went to high school with, you know, they ended up going to the top, some of the top music schools like myself, and we're all still on the scene today. Uh, you know, it's really amazing. I'll go down to New York and I'll see people I went to high school with and we're, you know, everyone's doing great and they're living their dream. Um, and, uh, that, that experience was just amazing going to the Hartford Academy for the arts. can't uh, I can't thank all the faculty and my peers there enough for that experience? It t- completely changed my life.
0: Then from from high school, did you go anywhere after that? I did further education. Yeah, yeah. I um I went.
1: I continued on to the uh, Jackie McLean Institute of Jazz at the Hart School, um at University of Hartford in Connecticut. So I, I chose to stay in Hartford, which was uh, important for me. Um, the the jazz program there is is uh really special. Um, There's a jazz legend, Jackie McLean, um, who founded the program. And he also simultaneously founded an arts grassroots education program in in the ghetto, basically. And those two institutions side by side and and just learning about the music from people that have a direct connection to to the roots. I mean, Jackie was there with Charlie Parker, uh, hanging out, you know, like he had his his horns stolen from Charlie Parker and Pond, <laughs> and all this stuff. Like he <laughs> like he was there for all, like a lot of the de- development of so called jazz history. You know, um, and although I didn't get to meet Jackie per se, I, I studied with his son Renee, and almost all the teachers at that school toured with Jackie and played with him. And um, there's kind of a special connection there, and a special um, just a special perspective. A lot of info that's there that you can't necessarily get other places um so i i chose to stay there which was really important for me and um heart was amazing too i mean i learned so much from all the professors there and the peers i
0: suppose one question that's in my head maybe a few others is uh how how intense is jazz school because most people have seen whiplash and i mean obviously it's, <laughs> a, obviously it's a movie and maybe it's a bit dramatized but um yeah. <laughs> first what are your thoughts on whiplash and then second how accurate is it compared to where you win? i imagine there's a bit of a difference
1: yeah there's definitely a di- definitely a difference uh it was funny when whiplash came out i got that question so much um <laughs> to the point of concern people were like oh my god mike are you okay are you, you okay? know <laughs> <laughs> they just assumed that i've been like physically assaulted and you know all this stuff <laughs> um no there wasn't you know there was never nothing physical uh in any of these but i'll say that you know not not just in college but in high school and and just on the scene too it's a very uh old school style of teaching so uh not always but you know there's they'll the, the teachers will will out of love be like brutally honest with you and um i don't know how education is in new Zealand, but. American education at large has been basically pacified uh, to the point where Mm. teachers can't really be honest with students because the students' feelings are so fragile that... Oh, it's the same way, yeah. Yeah, so, so, you know, I mean, I was luckily used to that in high school because I went to an arts high school that was very intense like that, but a lot of people they f- are first going to get that in college. Um, but that's how the music industry can be. The music industry is, is intense. So there was never, there was never, I mean, it was never a whiplash amount, never physical. I mean, yeah. it, it was never mean spirited, but you know, it would be, um, you know, they'd be like brutally honest, which can sting at times. Um, and and I mean, they'll, they would be honest, like extremely honest.
0: <laughs> uh, like, what's an example you can think of one?
1: Oh, a specific example. Um, trying to think. I mean, there were so many, I can't, I don't know if I can think of a specific <laughs> example, but, but some of the teachers there are are very, uh, especially at heart, all of them really they're, they're um When you, when you're getting to improvisational music, especially jazz, it's something where to get really good at it, you have to kind of reach down into the depths of your soul and vomit up reality and vomit up, you know, just humanity really. So when you do that for years and years and years at a high level, you you know you're going to pass that kind of on to your students um either indirectly or directly so you know their way of giving feedback it was sometimes indirect um which how do i say this it was it was indirect but then it was also very direct so mm. you'd get there as a student and i had experienced some of that that's this is like classic old school jazz musician stuff i'd experienced some of that in high school but it's it's the type of thing where like they would give you feedback some of it was like very personal because the music is an extension of you so they would say oh you know you're not man you're not listening enough and and then be like it's because you don't listen like as a person like you know they just get like they'd get personal because the the thing is it's kind of true like if you if i will use myself as an example i can be i'm naturally stubborn i had to kind of unlearn some of my natural stubbornness Um, parts of it because stubbornness is is a trait I think you need, especially as a jazz musician, because it's such a hard career. You do need to be Mm. stubborn because you need to keep going and, and have tenacity and like never give up. But then you also have to be like completely not stubborn when you step on the stage um, to a point, because it's democratic music. so they would they would kind of those professors, very special people to me. they they had the ability to like look into your soul, <laughs> kind of oh, and just man. like pick out the thing that that you as a person were dealing with, maybe that was blocking your musical improvement because you are the better you get, especially, you are going to play like who you are as a person. Um, yeah, so getting better as an artist is actually directly tied to, improving as a person
0: that's so interesting and kind of terrifying um wow okay so so you're at college and then you have finished up. you've performed in new york a bunch of other places you've released an album what was that like what happened since then what did you have to do to get to the stage you're at now since college was it an easy transition or more difficult
1: Um, it was definitely not easy. Um, I, have been out of college for three years now. I graduated in 2015. Mm -hmm. Um, I was fortunate to be gigging professionally, uh, since about senior year of high school. So I'd already been, I'd already been out gigging, you know, nothing, nothing big or anything impressive really, but just playing a lot, you know, playing a lot of events, playing background gigs and actually um, the, the trio that you hear on my album, we actually started playing together in my sophomore year of high school of uh, college. Sorry. So that band has been together for five going on 60 years now, which is amazing to me. Um, yeah. So in addition to those gigs, which are not really as artistically satisfying, I was also just getting together like this makeup of this band because I, I could kind of see ahead and see where the, for one, see where the industry is going for two, realizing just how hard it really is to be out here doing this, that I was like, I don't want to wait till I graduate and then say, then what? I want to have, mm. I want to get a band together now. I want to start writing original music for that band now. I want to start gigging with that band now so that in three years when I'm done with school, I've got a whole book, a whole huge book of music to, to play on gigs and to potentially record with. Mm. Two, I've got a band that... We've grown together as people, as artists, we have, we have a really strong chemistry and then three I've already gotten at least gotten to the point where I've gotten my name out there a little bit, even if it's just locally um, so that I'm not starting from scratch because uh, there's no safety net in this business. There's no guarantees in this business. So I figured I'd start then and really committed to that band and doing everything I could to, to, you know, keep lining up gigs, get as many people to those gigs, write new music consistently, you know, rehearse and do all that stuff that you have to do as a band leader. And then, um, I, uh, and network, you know, network a lot. And um, right before I graduated, I was very fortunate to go down and and do this uh, residency at the Kennedy center. Uh, which was very inspiring. That helps. Me, that actually helped me give me a big confidence boost. That um, I could really get. I could. I was really doing something, and I could like get to my goals quicker than I maybe thought. And then, um, not even let's see, yeah, like six months or so after that, or close to a year after that, I ended up doing at the time the biggest gig of my career with my band at this really awesome jazz club in the middle of nowhere, Connecticut, called the Side Door. And I thought to myself, you know they have the capability to record there. Um, mm-hmm. So like not just record like really deal real deal like multi-track, like they can mix and master it, they can put a ton of mics up and really this could be, and I'm thinking to myself, if this goes well, I could have at least a cup enough songs for one album or an EP just right. one show. And I didn't have a lot of money uh, because. I, did, I mean, I just didn't have money, I didn't have money to like get in the studio really and like really do yeah. a studio record. and I love live records so much. so I figured maybe I'll you know let's just let's try to make this show a thing. And that show ended up um, becoming the last album that's out now, The Sound of Surprise live at the side door and my forthcoming one, Stay Surprising Live at the side door. We got 14 first takes from one show and i i recorded the whole thing the engineer recorded the whole thing nick sexton uh he's amazing if any of you guys need mixing mastering work hit him up he's fantastic um and then i also had a friend of mine john hasselback who's a really amazing trumpeter he'll be out on the scene soon he's about to graduate he filmed the whole thing so i've got music videos of every song so i've got 14 songs out of this one show enough for two albums so i thought okay I'm going to put out seven of them this year, save yeah. the other seven for the follow-up. Um, and that's kind of how I was able to get things going fairly quickly out of school. Um, yeah. you know, kind of on a shoestring budget really just with like a lot of hope and passion and planning and, you know, just being like kind of frugal, you know, about it, but not, not to the point where it's not going to sound good. Just realizing like, I don't want to, I don't want to like go broke, just putting up 20 grand to, or 10 grand to like make a studio album, you know, that sort of
0: thing. Yeah. That's incredible. I never, I never realized that. So it was recorded all live.
1: All live. Yeah. Yeah. All live, like no edits, all, you know, all the, everything is in there. Like there's no, there's no studio tricks, nothing like that. Um, You know, Nick did a great job mixing and mastering it. It's hard to get a sound like that because um, with a live record, if you change the sax sound, you're going to change the drum sound because there's bleed. There's no, we don't, some, some people use isolation booths on stage for the drums, but we didn't do that. Um, so everything's bleeding, which makes it sound full. But then if you change the bass sound, it changes everything, you know, yeah, it's a very delicate balancing act.
0: Now you used, uh, pledge music to help fund this, right? And it was successful. 124% funded.
1: Yeah. I still can't believe it. Um, yeah, that, that was an amazing experience. Shout out to pledge music. If anybody needs uh, a platform to crowdfund, I'd highly recommend reaching out to them. Um, they were a big help. That platform helped a lot. Um, yeah. Music. Why? Group.
0: A lot of artists try and crowdfund and uh, they don't always succeed. What advice would you give to people listening to this who, who are maybe thinking, "Oh, yeah, I might crowdfund my next album or I'm working on an album. Not sure if I should do crowdfunding or not. What would you say to them?
1: Um, for one, I do as much research as you can. And for two, give yourself as much lead time as you can, like give yourself plan for some lead time and then double it. <laughs> um, I, I did the, both of those things, but I still felt like I was running like under the wire. Like I was just running out of time and everything. And, and not only that, but give yourself lead time between the end of the campaign and when you're going to release the album, because, uh, what you what you don't want what you what you might not think about which i didn't think about is oh wow this went so great tons of people you know purchased or pre-ordered through the campaign oh crap now i've got tons of like stuff to do like way more than (laughs) i thought because it went to it went so well like way better than i ever thought so you know leave your give yourself time on both sides um i would say strategy wise the biggest thing for me was the, strategy, the, the idea of the um, pre-launch, which uh, helped me a lot. I, I actually wrote, if you if any of you are listening and want to check it out, I wrote a blog post about how I did this for CD Baby DIY. Um, hmm. It's called something like how I crowdfunded my debut jazz album, 111% in 30 days, um, awesome. something like that. But it's on their DIY blog. Um, but the biggest thing I think that made the biggest difference is... Uh, Basically the pre-launch, which means you're going to have the, um, the campaign live, but kind of secret for one to two weeks. And this, you can use this with any platform, but pledge music is nice because they give you 60 days. So I did a full two week pre-launch. Um, and what that means is it's up, but I'm only sending it to, you know, biggest fans, friends, you know, things like people like that. People that I have a, know have a high chance of, of pledging because yeah. It allows you to get feedback on what's working, what's not. It allows you to tweak things. It'll, it will it buys you some time. Um, so for me, I, I sent it to my mailing list. Like, didn't announce it publicly, just sent it to my mailing list um, and and sent it to some of my biggest fans that were not on my mailing list. Mm-hmm. Um, and what that allowed was it'll, it bought me the time to see what's working, what's not. It also allowed me to, when I did publicly launch it, I was at like 85% already. Um something like that. And and when people, it's it's kind of like, it's a marketing strategy. So if something yeah. launches and it's people go to the page and there's zero people, it's not that they won't necessarily, if they're a big fan, they'll definitely do it, but it doesn't look, it doesn't look promising, you know, as opposed to, Oh wow, 85%, let me help push them over the top.
0: Yeah, um, yeah exactly.
1: Yeah. So that, that was a big part of it too. I definitely recommend a pre-launch strategy and you can do it with Kickstarter too, but I think they only give you 30 days so you know it might be hard to do a two-week pre-launch and then two-week public might not be enough time you know
0: for sure yeah yeah um so i want to talk about something pretty awesome which i'm excited for and you you people listen to this you producers you're gonna love this uh mike you've got a sample pack coming out on splice in may and i'm sure everyone else would agree with me there are hardly any good saxophone sample packs on splice like the ones that are on there they're kind of just really boring dry loops that (laughs) like have probably been used in 100 songs um so i'm curious what made you decide to to make a sample pack i mean that's an interesting move
1: yeah definitely and and i gotta say i'm really glad to hear someone else say that because I mean, I I use that to kind of get the thing to happen, but I haven't really heard feedback from producers on it Um, aside from you saying, "Oh, this is so great! I'm looking forward to this." Uh, You know, so I'm 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 relieved and thrilled that there's you know there's someone else out there who thinks that wow, yeah, there really there really are not a lot of saxophone packs. I actually got turned on to the idea uh, from an NPR interview with this guy, Illmind. Is any if you know who he is?
0: Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, he's he's a big name in the, more of the hip hop and R and B side, I think. But he has this whole thing called Blap Kits, where he basically just sells his own sample sounds that he's not using, and he sells them at like $40, 50 bucks a pop. And it's it works because it's exclusive. You know, he's got a name, so producers are into it, and he makes a bunch of money doing that. Um, I thought to myself, well. There doesn't seem to be a ton of these saxophone packs around. The ones that are around are very generic. There's only mm-hmm. one other artist pack I can think of that I've even seen because I did research this. And even that one was still not that different from the generic ones. Um, so I thought, you know, let me just shop this idea around, shopped it around all the companies. Splice was very interested. They gave me the best offer and I'm very excited to be working with them. Um, I'm really inspired by their model. Yeah. Um, you know, they're basically like the Spotify of samples and I think they're, they're opening things up in a big way to a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, as a, as a former producer, who's now getting back into production and I used to DJ a lot too, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of excited to just be thinking about what i play from that standpoint like when i'm when i was making the pack i was like oh this is, this is like kind of a fun challenge to think about how someone might use what i'm about to play <laughs> in a way that i can't even foresee you know
0: yeah that's really awesome um has it been challenging making a sample pack like is it is it different uh what are some of the things you've had to think about
1: yeah. It was, it was a different headspace for me because when I'm playing now, not all of my gigs are jazz. I, I love playing everything and jazz is my home, but I love to leave the house. Uh, but most of the time, you know, when I play something, it's with a band and it's a constant, very quick conversation. So I play something, someone responds, I respond to that. So mm-hmm. me being alone in a room by myself, just having to like start with no, no band and no like foundation and no spark really, It took me a a couple, you know, like a couple days to like kind of really get into, okay, I I can just kind of create from nothing, but then also think about this can't be, I want it to be creative and I want it to be different and I want it to be me, but it also can't be like so out there that like someone has no idea what to do with the sample. Um, Mm. But on the other hand, maybe, and there are, there are a couple in there that are pretty like naughty. They're like really weird. Um, because I think someone, there are other producers who like a challenge and they might not care about making something sound pretty and they, you know, they'll be into the rougher sounds too. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a challenge, but a fun challenge to kind of create from nothing and kind of think, okay, how is someone going to use this?
0: So that's coming out in May on splice.
1: Yeah. May 21st exclusively on splice.
0: Awesome. Fantastic. Looking forward to that. Now. Before, when you were talking about your journey, background, that kind of stuff, you mentioned several times how challenging uh, the industry is. What do you mean by that? What are some of the, in the jazz industry or the jazz scene, what are the challenging, difficult aspects of it?
1: Oh man, where to start (laughs) for jazz? (laughs) So, so with jazz, the thing is you've got all the other music industry problems. They're all there, but Mm. they're... They're even, I guess, worse because the jazz world is so far behind. Um, Not musically per se. Actually, I think some of the most innovative, of course, I'm biased, but many, I think a lot of the most innovative music from just a musician standpoint is coming still from jazz, but from the way jazz is marketed, from the way jazz is presented, a lot of the model hasn't changed since the 60s, 70s, 80s. It hasn't updated. It didn't update for the new paradigm in the nineties. And it's definitely hasn't updated for the paradigm of today. A lot of the power players are very traditional and they, they kind of market jazz as this vintage thing, which it's not really, it's a very vibrant living, breathing music. Of course, yes, there was a lot of amazing music at a certain time, but it wasn't the musicians who decided to call that a golden age. It was all the marketing people. And I think you've what we've seen is because these marketing people are so, uh, they're so hungry to just, you know, capitalize on what they know will work, which is the perception of jazz as a vintage art form, you know, just reissuing box sets of Miles Davis over and over and over and over again, the new ones that have been released, there was just another one, Knock on Wood, which, of course, I can't wait to listen to, but, <laughs> but still, yeah. like, they know that's going to work and, and Miles is dead, so they don't have to pay anybody. So just like, it's this very kind of incestuous thing where, um, investment in new artists hasn't really been there for like 20 years. Um, and, and then the audience is smaller. So if you are an artist who's indie like myself, you can only invest so much because there's only so much that you can get because the audience is smaller that all that said, there are a lot of, um, recent, uh, Shimmers of Hope, you know, crossover successes in jazz, jazz artists that are breaking through to a wider audience of people who wouldn't necessarily call themselves jazz fans, but they like a couple artists. I'm talking about Robert Glasper. I'm talking about Kamazi Washington. I'm talking about, of course, Herbie Hancock did that 30 years ago, but Herbie's mm-hmm. still doing that. Um, other people too. Terrace Martin, who I had dinner with recently. He's great. He's also a producer and saxophonist. Um And, uh, other, other people like that too, uh, out of the UK Sons of Kemet, you know, they just put out a new album. Um, Mm. so it's at the same time, it's a, it's a very exciting time in jazz because there are, um, a whole plethora of artists that are, you know, under 35 or 40 and, and under too that are, are really trying to go for it. And they're proud of the tradition of jazz, but they're not bound by it. And they're definitely not trying to market themselves as this heritage throwback tribute type of artist
0: yeah Um, you know is there kind of sorry to interrupt is there kind of like a because in the electronic music scene you have people who've been here for decades Uh, to some degree the new innovative producers are looked down upon by them because they're not making traditional dance music you know Um, and then my question for you is in your community what is what is the general opinion of those guys you just mentioned or someone like Jacob Collier who I, I wouldn't call him strictly a jazz musician. I think he's a genius. Yeah, um, me too. He's great. But like I can imagine he gets a little bit of uh, not hate, but you know, backlash because he's not staying inside the boundaries of whatever it was 50 years ago. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean for Jacob in particular, I I'm not sure if he's gotten a lot of flack I think if any, if anything, it's probably older musicians, not the industry. The industry seems yeah. to have improved them in a big way, which is great. I'm, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Jacob Collier. He's amazing. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's two sides of it, you know, the, and this isn't, this isn't new for any genre. Like there's always the artists who are a generation or two or three older, you, you know, have always for most genres kind of had disdain for like, some or all of what the the current generation or the, the younger generation is doing. And it's funny, you know, I, I don't know if you know the magazine downbeat, but they're the oldest jazz magazine. And I have, uh, I got this really great book called the best downbeat interviews all dating all the way back to 1920 and I'm reading them and you know, it's just amazing to me how the swing guys, the swing big band dance band guys, just a lot of them hated what Charlie Parker was doing at the time. Hated And Charlie Parker is looked at as a God now. And then, you know, even further, like as the, as the time goes on, same thing. Like you've got guys that were bebop guys that just hated or not hated, but they were, they were like, I'm not impressed by John Coltrane. Like, (laughs) they're just like, what is this? Like, what's the big deal about this guy? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? You know? And it, it, and so it goes and so it goes and so it goes. And that's still happening today. Um, Mm. that's, that's not new. I think that's just how, that's how,
0: that's unfortunately this
1: part of the evolution of
0: any style of music I mean, I would say it's human nature, just like fundamentally, yeah. it doesn't even it doesn't just happen in the music industry, you know. Of course,
1: yeah, it's just human nature is like that. Um, so you know, it's I don't know. I think I think the the thing that's more dangerous. I, I'm not. I mean, that's just going to happen. Like like we said, it's human nature. But I think yeah. the thing that's a little bit more dangerous that we have to watch out for that I don't think the jazz industry did watch out for is the neoclassical thing as far as marketing where you know, there's so many people that don't even know what jazz music is. They don't know what it isn't. Uh, and who am I to say, but there are definitely some, some lines that can be drawn and they're not being drawn where you, where you have, you know, Elton John playing at the New Orleans jazz festival. It's like, come on, you know, um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. things like that, where it's like, we have to be more careful about how we, uh, communicate what it is, how we market what it is. Um, if we want the music to survive and, and what we're playing, you know, it's just, not everybody but there's still unfortunately like the major power players or st- a lot of them are still not really up to speed in that way yet but they're getting there mm. they're getting there
0: a few more questions and then we we'll wrap this up uh the first is i was reading your bio on your website and it mentioned philanthropy you have an interest in that uh, tell me about that
1: absolutely so um philanthropy through music is something i've been doing uh for a while i mean even even when i was 13 uh when I got my bar mitzvah I chose to have my project based around music and there's a, a really great organization called Little Kids Rock uh that has since exploded um I actually just had lunch with them a couple weeks ago in New York um but they they basically go into schools where music ed has been cut and train teachers to um give after school modern band classes so they're they're kind of breaking down a lot of the walls they're saying well if a kid doesn't want to learn classical music, why is that bad? Why can't we just give a kid a guitar and teach them a Taylor Swift song? Which I completely agree with. It's all music and it's all like the, the thing with music education at a young age is it's got to be more about fostering love for music. And yes. yeah. I think the current band paradigm, it turns a lot of kids away um, because the music is just not exciting. Um, mm-hmm. It's not really, uh, it's not, it's, it doesn't sound like anything they're listening to. Um, and they kind of treat it like this separate thing, extra thing they have to do. So that organization is doing really great. Um, there is a, there's a, for my last album release show in Hartford, I, I donated the proceeds to this, uh, this, uh, organization rise up group, which is a very innovative organization that, um, helps to combat the poverty cycle by training kids in the inner city of Hartford how to be entrepreneurs basically instead of, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Instead of just kind of uh, many of them don't make it to college, but if they were to go to yeah. college, just getting working for somebody else, but, or at the very least they're, you know, trying to increase the rate of kids going to college and also the rate of, of people starting their own business so that you can actually like own something and start to accumulate, you know, uh, money and, and really break out of that cycle. So mm. they're doing that. And there's, there's other organizations like um, just a group that helps or farmers and, small farmers survive and, you know, advocates for organic practices, long story short, you know, music is, it's something that I think it's, it's there. It's this force that binds everyone together. And, you know, it's not enough for me to just create art. And, you know, I think that's something that is a it, any, any artist that's creating art, it's a good thing for the, for the universe, but uh, I'm trying to take it a one step further whenever I can to make it so that, that art actually is doing something it's doing something more than just the merit of its own art. You know, can it, can it, can I, I have some influence I have, whatever I have, whatever I have, I have and I'm trying to use that to uh, to make the world a better place. Basically.
0: I like that. I think that's really honorable. Uh, I think more people should do it. Now let's say someone's listening to this and they're thinking, man, this jazz stuff sounds so cool. I don't want to learn how to play, like saxophone or anything but i want to have a better education in jazz music uh, because i don't know anything about it what would you say that person came to you and said how should i educate myself in this field what should i listen to which artists albums blogs whatever what should i follow
1: that's a great question that's one for the ages and uh it's 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 one for (laughs) the ages because there's so much amazing music there's so much It's been written about the music. There's so many great sources to draw from. Um, One in particular that I actually came across recently that I think was really just amazing, and it it dispels a lot of myths about jazz. um, is is a YouTube series called "The Cry of Jazz." Um, It's four parts. Um, it's, it came out in 1959, which is kind of a pivotal year for jazz, uh, which I don't, I don't want to get into that, but I'm sure if you, if you look into the year 1959 in jazz, there's a lot of, that's been written about it, but, um, it's a very deep four part series. Uh, I would say, you know, delving into that, it'll kind of give you a really good, a really good clear picture of where this music came from, who it came from. Why, why it's set up the way it's set up just musically and how that relates to life of the people that created it, um, mm. which is something that people kind of pay lip service to a lot. Unfortunately, they don't really go that deep into it, yeah. but it's, you got to do more than just pay lip service to who created it and how um, and why and, and when it happened. You know, and that, that, that series, The Cry of Jazz, goes into that in a very deep way. Um, I'd say start there and then just start listening to, to, you know, the great artists of, you know, of, of jazz history start at the beginning with new Orleans and Louis Armstrong and work your way forward from there. And that'll give you a really thorough understanding, uh, of the music. Um, that'll, that's a definitely a really good start. I think.
0: I love it. Yeah. I'll have to check that series out. Uh, okay. One more question, Mike, you're walking down the street and, uh, along comes a UFO and they're going to take you away from, from earth and whatever. Uh, but they say to you, here's a piece of paper and a pen. You can write three pieces of advice on it, uh, to leave behind for the earth. Now it can be advice for artists or just general advice, general life advice. What is on that piece of paper as you leave?
1: Oh, good question. Okay. So I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to angle this towards advice for artists.
0: (laughs) No, it's playing it safe. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, (laughs) So, uh, let's see, three pieces of advice. I would say it's the first piece is commit, really commit to being an artist. If you want to be an artist, you got to commit, um, to the art to doing that in, in the most uh, direct, you know, direct and deliberate way you can, you know, un, just investigate every crevice of your creativity. The second piece I would say is to let's see second piece is to incorporate humanity into your art. Stop searching for perfection. Perfection doesn't exist. Um, this is something that jazz musicians become very comfortable with because the music is not about perfection. Um, but I think most music that's not classical music is the, is the same way. Like edge is a good thing. Not being perfect is a good thing. Um, so it's not enough to great art. I think is is polarizing in a lot of ways, and yes. it's not enough to just paint by numbers. You got to really reach down and vomit up humanity. That's the second piece of advice. It, like, just stop being, stop searching for perfection. The third piece. Oh man, third piece is be patient because it's going to take a while. Um, you know, and, and every genre is different. I mean, people. When when I tell people I've been playing saxophone for fifteen years. They're usually shocked um, when I tell them (laughs) that I recorded my first album, I guess that would be what, 13 years in, you know, that's something that other genres don't have. Mm. Um, Now that's, some of that is by design, some of that it deals with how difficult the music is. Whatever. That's, you know, that's not the important part to me. I'm not, this isn't about saying one is harder or whatever. It's not about that at all. The point is, is about patience in longevity and whatever that is in, in your field, in your focus. Don't, don't be passive. You know, you have to go after it, but be patient and realize that time is, is like the one of the biggest ingredients. Time is, mm-hmm. is so important and and how fast it goes is crazy to me. How how, you know, I can be looking at some, at a song this week in one way. And then the next week I look at it again and I'm like, this is, looks totally different to me. It sounds, you know, I'm approaching it from a whole different way or even years go by and I'm like, Oh, that thing, I never thought that about that, but 10 years later, I revisit it. And now I'm thinking this. So patience, get rid of perfection, focus on patience. And then the first one was be deliberate and commit. Those
0: are the three. I love it. Fantastic advice. Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Had a fantastic conversation. Uh, Finally, where can people find you online if they want to learn more about you, listen to your music and help you out?
1: Oh, good question. So my website, I would say is a good place. Uh, MikeKCJazz.com. That's M-I-K-E-C-A-S-E-Y-J-A-Z-Z.com. I'm on social media, but right now I'm I'm not thrilled with social media. So what you'll see on my site is you can join my mailing list or shoot me a text, uh, and that works internationally. So just shoot me a text. That's the best way to stay in touch, um, or email, you know, uh, as we see with Facebook, there's a lot of weird things with social media right now. So, so don't be afraid to, to not follow me on social media. <laughs> um, you know, but yeah, it's website, you know, email, text me, it's all good. Um, and, uh, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope some of you take this the song the excuse me the sounds in the splice pack and and blow my mind i can't wait to see what people figure out <laughs> with some of this stuff um absolutely yeah yeah and sam thank you so much for having me it's a really real pleasure um and uh yeah hopefully maybe in a few years i'll get my production game up and you know i'll send be sending you guys some music
0: <laughs> <laughs> sounds good